Women's event. If I can just see a show of hands. Okay. We had a dynamic time. Did we not have an amazing time yesterday? It was fun. It was insightful. And so I'm still kind of in that vein, in that flow. Brothers, I believe God's going to still speak to you, but we're definitely still in the flow of the conference, the I Am Conference, inspired, amazing, and motivating. And so today we're going to talk about a tremendous woman in the Word of God that comes to mind as we go into the Word today. If you have your Bibles or your tablets, I know we're a tablet or phone generation. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 29, and we're going to begin reading at verse 16. Genesis chapter 9, chapter 29, verse 16. You may stand if you like. If you, if you will, you can stand for the reading of the word. Verse 16 says this, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Verse 19, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than another man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because he was so in love. You may be seated. Isn't that so funny? He says, even seven years felt like only a little bit of time because he was so in love. As I, I don't know if any of you caught the match this past week, last week with Serena Williams and Naomi, there was a great match that just transpired. And one of the things I love to see, I love to see Serena and Venus Williams in the top co competing against one another. They have for many years been in several different matches competing against one another. Serena Williams being the younger sister, Venus being the older sister. But there have been so many times that Serena has whooped up on her sister. She has beat her in so many matches. And when I watch them um, compete against each other. I'm always intrigued to see them play because what, what better person to know the weaknesses and strengths of another than a sister? If you have a sister, if you have a brother, you know that many times your sibling knows things about you that maybe your parents may not even know about you. And so they usually compete against one another. But in this particular championship match, it was Serena against a young girl named Naomi. Naomi said when she was being interviewed that she was a great a fan of Serena Williams, that for years she looked up to her. For years, she considered her to be one of her mentors in tennis, and she esteemed to one day play like her. And here she finds herself, this young 20-year-old girl, a Haitian-Japanese girl, playing against her champion, her mentor, the person that she's looked up to. And wouldn't you know, wouldn't it so go down that the least likely one would win the event? Naomi, we didn't expect her to win. If, you're, if you follow sports at all or tennis, we did not have the expectation that she would actually win. And you know, there's been so much circumstances even around that victory with Serena Williams having conversations with the ref and um, the referee accusing her of cheating. But even through all of that, the winner, the one that was the least likely to become the champion that day became the champion. Today, we're gonna look at the subject of the least likely one. 
Maybe you're in the building and you feel like I'm the least likely one. I'm usually the one that's chosen last for the kickball game. I'm usually the one that is overlooked in my family. Maybe you feel like you have been the least likely one, not always the one pinpointed to succeed or come out as a winner. I'm sure Naomi went into that match knowing that she was paying a mentor, but also secretly hoping that she would come out a winner. And she did. If you would just run that clip that I have, that, that, that you have for me. Okay, because I know that this, like, she really wants to have the 24th Grand Slam, right? Everyone knows this. It's on the commercials. It's everywhere. <laughs> and, like, when I step onto the court, I feel like a different person, right? I'm not a Serena fan. I'm just a tennis player playing another tennis player. But then when I hugged her at the net, Anyways, when I hugged her at the net, I felt like a little kid again, so, sorry. Perfect. Want some more? No, I'm okay. One of the things I want to point out when I saw that video, that's fresh off of the victory. If you notice in that video, her posture was downtrodden. and she felt she appeared not to be a champion, but she feared to be someone that had been defeated, even though she had just won the Grand Slam at 20 years old, representing her nation, representing a generation. She did not carry success, if you will, or carrying the or carry the heart of a champion, but whether she was in tears and she felt the sting of everything that occurred that day. Naomi reminds me a little bit of Leah. Leah had a life that, uh, that accumulated many victories, but let, yet Leah still had some issues that she was battling with. And even in the video, Naomi was a victor. I can't imagine winning something that great and still feeling so undeserving, still feeling like it wasn't really mine to win, but she still was the one that was least likely to win the championship. I remember years ago, I ran track and and I would, my coach told me, she, he said, Sorsha, you know, if you were a little bit taller, you would be better at hurdles. I was a hurdler. And he would say, if you were a half an inch to an inch taller, you could three-step in between the hurdles and not have to alternate your legs. Most hurdlers have a dominant leg that they lead with. And I remember that giving me such a complex. Even though I was winning track meets, even though I was making it to regionals and states and winning gold medals, I always had a complex in the back of my mind that if I was just a little bit taller I could compete on a different level it doesn't matter that you folk it doesn't matter if I was a little bit taller or not I still was coming out victorious but many times we focus on the issues that we have the things we don't like about ourselves the complexes that are in our mind and many times that holds us back from being and doing what God has called us to do the scripture says in Genesis 1 chapter 26 let us make man in our image and in our kindness and let him have dominion authority over the earth many times we focus on what we don't have versus focusing on the fact that God said you are created in my image you reflect me in the earth is what that scripture says so look at your neighbor and says you are a reflection of God you are a reflection of God. Many times we don't understand that even the things we dislike about ourselves, God could use those things to bring him glory. You reflect God in the earth. You are a reflection of God in the earth. 
When we get into the story of Leah and Rachel, we see a struggle between two sisters in Genesis chapter one. The scripture says that Rachel was lovely. She was beautiful. So much so that Jacob was like, I'm gonna work seven years for her hand in marriage. Any brother in the building ever works seven to 14 years for somebody's hand in marriage? I just wanna see how much you're in love in the building. Anybody? Okay, okay, so Jacob has something unique going on here with Rachel. He was willing to work seven years for her hand in marriage, but what occurs in Genesis, between Genesis chapter 18 and 22 is that Laban, the uncle, becomes a little trickster. He does a little thing with Jacob and says, you know, I can't give you the older before I give you the younger one. And so on the wedding night, after Jacob has served his seven years working, the, uh, uh, Laban sneaks in Leah into the bridal tent or into the wedding bed. And when Jacob wakes up, he looks and he says, well, wait a minute, this is Leah. I work for Rachel. Where is my bad man, Majama? This is not who I picked. And Leah is there, and Leah is there broken, she's there rejected, she's there hurt, she's there, I'm sure, wondering, how did I get to be a part of this pawn and this scheme of my father? How did I become the one that is positioned to be broken and to be hurt? And so Leah is there with Jacob in the morning. In verse 25, it says, when the morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what have you done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you so deceived me? I just wanna just drop this nugget here. It's so important. Where are my parents at in the building? If you parent a child, you have a grandchild, a niece, a nephew, it's so important that you set your children up for success and not rejection and failure. I'm not gonna be too hard on Laban, but what I see in the scripture is that not only did he set Leah up for failure and for rejection, he set Rachel up for rejection because I can't imagine what Rachel must have felt like going, she about to go with my husband? Wait a minute, dad, didn't you say he was working for me? So in the scenario, you have two women being broken, being rejected, dealing with hurts, dealing with wounds because of the decision that their father made. We have to be careful as we parent. We have to be careful as we nurture and as we pour into others that we set them up. If you know someone is going down a road that's not gonna be healthy and successful for them, you've gotta tell them so. You gotta say this is not the best way to do that. I have never been accused of being silent. I'm usually accused of being too direct. And so I know that my assignment in a lot of my friends' lives and in the, my nieces and nephews is to always be a voice of wisdom and reconciliation to truth. Because many times people would do what feels good and what they really want, or as Laban said, it was the culture, but it wasn't necessarily God's best. Amen? So Laban goes on and says, is it not our culture to do this? In verse 30, it says, in verse 31, verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. This, uh, there's a part of this scripture that just stands out to me. It says, when the Lord saw, and not just he saw with his physical eyes, because we know that God is all seeing. We know that God is all knowing. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. It wasn't that God saw physically. It was that he perceived her pain. He perceived the agony that she was in in the moment. And the scripture says he allowed her to conceive. What does that mean to you and me today? It means that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've walked through in your past or what you're going through in your present, God sees, he knows, 
and he perceives your pain. And this is what I love about God. He doesn't just see and know and perceive our pain. He does something about it. Amen. The scripture says that he saw Leah was in pain and he noticed her agony. And so he allowed her to conceive. What does that mean for you and I? It means that he allowed her to produce something in the earth. Come on. He allowed her to produce life in the earth. You may not be in a situation right now where you want to produce a child, but I believe God has deposited something on the inside of each of you to produce in the earth to change this world. Amen. God saw what Leah was going through. That jumps out at me. It reminds me of blind Bartimaeus. The scripture said that blind Bartimaeus was on the roadside and he was begging and he was yelling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the scripture says that Jesus stopped. When was the last time you knew that what you cried out for, what you yelled out for, got God's attention to such a moment, he stopped what he was doing to bring attention to your life? Blind Bartimaeus stepped out in faith and said, Jesus, have mercy on me. And the scripture says, and Jesus stopped. He paid attention. He looked up on his agony. He looked up on his pain. He perceived the place he was in. You also see a circumstance like that with Esther. One of my favorite stories is the story of Esther. And as Esther calls a fast for her people, you all know the story. She calls a fast and she's fasting on behalf of a nation. The scripture says that after the fast, there's a scripture that says, and God remembered Esther. And God remembered Esther. There are certain key phrases in the word of God that you have to attune your ear and know, number one, that God knows where you are. Number two, that he will stop what he's doing to attend his ear to your cry. That's what the word of God says. And that he also will remember you right where you are, right where you are right now. The Lord remembers and he knows. Many times we think that God is far from us. We think that he's removed from us. He's removed from a situation, but he's not. He's right there present where you are. My point number two says this. There is still greatness on the inside of you. There is still greatness on the inside of you, Leah. Leah didn't know. I don't, Leah didn't have the spiritual perception to see down the future and know that one day the lineage that would come from her room would be Jesus Christ. Sometimes we're so consumed with what we're going through, we don't understand that 5, 10, 15 years down the road, something amazing can occur just because of your faithfulness today. I'm a living testimony that because my mama has served God, because she's been faithful, because her mother was faithful, because my great-grandmother was faithful, God has honored even their prayers today, and I get to stand before you and utilize the gift that God has given me. You never know what you're going through. You can't despise where you are now because 10 or 15 years down the road, God could use it to change the world, amen? When the Lord saw, when he saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. The scripture says that she produced a son by the name of Reuben. Reuben means it's because the Lord saw me in my misery. Leah went on to produce a son named Simeon and Simeon means because the Lord heard that I was not loved, he gave me this one too. Goes on and produces Levi. And the scripture says, Levi means now last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. He still wasn't attached. Then Leah produces Judah. We know Judah, right? 
she produces Judah. And Judah means this time I will praise the Lord. At this moment, I'm going to take a praise break. She had been working and toiling to get the attention of her husband for so many years that she had to take a moment and say, but this moment, I'm going to worship and I'm going to praise him. Only if she would have stayed in that moment, only if she would have continued to live in that moment, but no, no um, condemnation to Leah, because I know that sounds a little bit like me at times. You're going through stuff and you're making a decision. Oh, today I'm going to be positive. Praise you, Jesus. God, I believe you're turning things around. Tomorrow you're complaining about it. The next day, God, I praise you. You're moving. You're turning things around. The next day you're complaining about it. So Leah is really a reflection of us. That's what we do many times. And so no judgment to Leah, but if she would have lived in a place of praise, I believe she would have saw God's glory a little bit sooner. She goes on and produces another child through her handmaiden, and that child's name was Gad. And Gad means what good fortune. She goes on and produces another such child, Asher. How happy am I? Women will call me happy. She wasn't happy. She still was toiling and striving to get the attention of her man, not knowing God was already at work. She goes on to have Issachar. Issachar means God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. No, he did not. No, he did not reward you for that. She goes on to have Zebulun. God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband would treat me in honor. This is now her sixth child. Six times she's trying to get the attention of a man. Six times she's trying to say, would you love me? Would you accept me? Would you look up on me the way you do my sister? Would you be kind to me the way you are with my sister? Six times she's going through a process to conceive a child to get the attention of a man. Haven't we done that before? Haven't we done things that we know we shouldn't have done to get the attention of another? Come on, brothers, I'm not leaving you out in this moment. You know you've done stuff to get the attention of a woman that you probably shouldn't have done. Women, you know you've done stuff to get the attention of a man and you shouldn't have done it. Our attention and our affection should be set on the Most High God. That's the only place we'll truly find victory. That's the only place we will truly, truly win in life. Amen? The scripture says she, she continues to have these children and Reuben was the firstborn. Let me just talk about Reuben for one second. Reuben had rightfully should receive the, the, the birthright because she, he was the eldest of Jacob's children. But we know because Jacob loved Joseph, right? We know the story of Joseph. He put the coat of many colors on Joseph and he basically ignored protocol. The same one that wanted to follow protocol earlier, pastor, with the daughters, ignores protocol and he now blesses Joseph instead of Reuben and I can understand that Leah probably was a little salty about that here we go again overlooking people and so Joseph inherits what was rightfully Reuben's but even though that happened there were two individuals that came from Leah's womb that produced greatness in her lineage number one it was Levi you all know that Levi is the priestly tribe 
you have the priest that came out of Levi. And so even though Leah had produced a tribe that would be the priest that would go before the tabernacle, that would prepare the way for the spirit of God to dwell in the temple, Leah had no idea that she was carrying someone, carrying a lineage that would be great in the kingdom. She produced Levi. Out of Levi came Moses and Aaron. Come on, the very Moses that went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go, came from the womb of Leah and she didn't even know what she was carrying. The very same Moses that went before an unrighteous king and set a generation free came from the very womb that was in agony and that was in pain. She goes on to produce Aaron, Moses' brother. And we know Aaron was the one that led the children of Israel on out into freedom. And she didn't even recognize. That's why I say you have to understand that your moment right now is temporary. What you're going through right now is temporary. It is subject to change. You never know who you're birthing. You never know who you're taking care of. You do not know who you're raising right now and what they would do in the world. You have to be faithful where God has you right now and not despise where where you are. The second important person that I believe Leah gave life to was Judah. We know the scripture says that Jesus Christ came right through the lineage of Judah. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, came through Judah. In Matthew chapter 1, it says the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of who? Judah. If Leah only could perceive that one day my great, 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 great grandchild would die on a cross and save a generation. If she only had the spiritual eyes and perception to know that it wasn't about her figure, it wasn't about her makeup, it wasn't about her rejection, it wasn't about the things she went through, that she would ultimately be a key that would save the world. Come on, I believe you are that answer. I believe God is equipping us to be a voice to the generation, to change those that are around us. You're not just on that job by accident. People don't just come to you and tell you their problems just by accident. People don't just come to you to vent just because you're there. No, you're there to point them to Jesus Christ. If Leah only knew that everything about her, everything about her makeup, God would use to birth our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I believe she would have lived differently. I believe she truly would have been a happy woman. I believe she truly would have been a woman that could say, I have good fortune. In Psalms 139, verse 13 through 16, it says this, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Verse 15 says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one ever came to pass. I love this scripture. It has brought so much life to me. The scripture says, my frame was not hidden from you. Your frame equals your makeup, your design, your form, your personality. All was intricately shaped and designed by God. I just need somebody to really meditate on that for a minute. 
Your frame is your makeup, your design, your form, your personality, all of that designed and made by God. So when you know that is all made by God, should you then live a life that says, man, I hate my personality. I wish I was this. I wish I was that. I wish I, should you despise the very aspect of yourself that God intricately wove together in your mother's womb? Many times we despise those things. Many times we don't understand that the very way God formed you, my brother, designed you, was the way he intended you to be to reach the people around you. I used to always say this, man, Sorsha, I wish, I wish you were a little calmer. I wish you were quieter. I used to always say, I wish I had my mama's personality. She's so sweet and calm and peaceful. And I'm, I'm a wild woman. If you were at the conference yesterday, we danced, we celebrated. I just, I'm someone who gets up every day full of energy and life. And there were many days I was like, if you could just be a little more calm, a little more quiet, you wouldn't face the things you face. And, I, and God had to just show me this in scripture. No, I wove you together just the way you are. I made you just the way you are. I shared this on yesterday. I have a nonprofit called Destined to Live, and I go to Africa, South Africa, and help women and children that have been affected by HIV and AIDS and poverty. I believe this December, my mom is going with me. This will probably be my sixth or seventh trip to South Africa. I know I got to talk to First Lady Marilyn about her travels and the impact on that continent, but I remember thinking to myself, Sorsha, if you were not who you are, would you have the courage and the boldness to go to South Africa and do the things you do? 10, 15, 20 years ago, I had no idea that God would use my boldness, my courageousness, my mouth, who I am, the details that he has installed in me. I had no idea he would use that to touch a continent called Africa. That's why it's so important that you don't despise where you are. That's why it's so important that you embrace who God made you. I know by assignment of God, people in this room are struggling with who they are, who they are in the natural and who they are in the spirit. God has called you to greater. He's called you to go higher. He's called you to be a voice to a generation. Amen. Point number three, you were created with purpose. You were created with purpose. God doesn't manufacture or create anything without a purpose. This plant here has a purpose. The speaker here has a purpose. The microphone has a purpose. How much more do you have a divine purpose of God? And your purpose may not be to stand here and preach. It may not be to travel to Africa. It may not be to, to be a Serena Williams or even Naomi. It may not be that. Your purpose may be to be a great business person, to be a great mother, to be a great father that just instills life and hope in your children. But whatever that purpose is, I want to admonish you to be faithful to the purpose and plan of God over your life. Leah struggled for years, I believe, in agony, in depression probably, trying to get the attention of someone not knowing what God had put on the inside of her. We can't go through our life in that struggle. We touched on depression yesterday in the women's ministry, and I believe many times we are in depression or feeling down because we're not embracing who God made us to be. I always say this, when you are authentic, you release people to be authentic in your presence, my brother. When you conceal and hide, you end up attracting people that will conceal and hide. It's so important that you live your authentic life. People need you to show up at work. People need you to be the light, to be the salt. 
People need you to be who God created you to be. It's so important that we embrace our frame and embrace how God created us. You were created with a purpose. God's hand is upon you. He sees you. He attunes his ear. He stops and pays attention when you pray. You've got to know that, not just in a sense of, yeah, I kind of know that minister, but do you know that you know that you know when you get on your knees, when you stand before God in worship and prayer, he attunes his ear to your life. Leah's, Leah's family was a bit messed up, as I mentioned, between her and Rachel, and then Joseph becoming, um, in, inheriting um, his father's blessing. But one of the things I see that Joseph changes as it relates to the dynamic of his family unit is found in Genesis chapter 50. Joseph, you know, had been sold into slavery by his brothers. Dysfunction sometimes runs through families. And so his brother sold him. He went from slavery to pit, a palace, to prison, just all kinds of chaos. But I love this about Joseph. Joseph could have been retaliatory. He could have retaliated. He could have been ugly toward his brothers. But he made a decision to stop the pattern of dysfunction in his family. In Genesis chapter 50, it says this, then his brothers also went and fell before his face and said, Behold, we are your servants. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20 is the verse I want you to key in on. But as for you, you meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about this day to save many people alive. I want you to lean here, lean in here. Everything you've gone through in life definitely has not been good. Everything I've gone through has not been good. The enemy meant it for evil, but God meant it for your good to save many people. Many times we quote the scripture, it all works together for the good of them who love the Lord, called according to his purpose. And yes, that is true. But it's not just about working together for your good. It's working together for your good so you can save many people alive. So people's lives can be saved by the hand of God. Joseph could have done all kinds of things in that moment. And he looks at his brothers and says, you meant it for evil. You did not have right intentions against me when you put me in that pit and when you sold me away to slavery. But God knew this moment I would have to rescue you, rescue the family, rescue people in the community. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for my good. I need you to understand that no matter what you've walked through, no matter where you are even now, whether you're struggling with a sickness, struggling with depression, struggling in your marriage, and your relationships, the enemy definitely means it for your, good, for your evil, but God means it for good to save many people. Verse 21 says, Joseph says, now therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He comforted them. Can you speak kindly to the ones that have hurt you? Can you comfort the very ones that have stabbed you in the back? Can you display love and be there to help and rescue those that you know have been the ones that have wounded you? Can you make a decision to do good even in spite of the evil that's around you? Joseph made a decision in that moment. I'm not even going to cuss at you. I'm going to speak kindly to you. Come on, because sometimes as Christians, we'll cuss and then pray later. We'll cuss and then 
I didn't mean it like that. You know, I, that's not what I meant. Um, but Joseph didn't do that. It says he comforted them. He provided for them. And he spoke kindly. What I want to deposit in the house today is that you are a reflection of an almighty God. You reflect God in the earth. Do you walk? Do you live every day knowing that you reflect God in the earth? Do you walk and live every day knowing you were created with a purpose? Created with a purpose. Rick Warren's book just has sold billions and billions because of what it reveals is we are a generation of people who don't understand the purpose and plan of God for our life. It wasn't about a book because I've read the book three or four times. It's scripture in the book. It's that we don't understand how to pursue the purpose that God has over our life. It may not be your job. It may not be what you're currently doing. But I believe if you seek the face of God, he will reveal to you. He will give you snapshots, snapshots and glimpses of what he has in store for your life. Amen.